dentists and orthodontists, they understand that that duality of both function and beauty matter. I could have all kinds of little barbs and wires and stuff, but no, no, no. Not just function, but function and beauty. It's both. I got a pretty good smile. Thank you to my dentist community, right? So once you agree that that beauty thing exists, then you start looking at it going, okay, where and how can I infuse this? And it's tiny steps, right? It's little things. Think about the notion of excitement. That's one of my words, right? If you're a founder, you want your people to be excited. You want your customers to be excited, whether it's about the process, the product, the experience, the price, whatever it is. You are listening to the High Growth Founders Podcast, where we give you unfiltered truth and ideas about accelerating the growth of your startup and becoming the founder you were born to be. No fluff, no games, just straight to business. I'm your host, Casey Jones. Through my career as a coach, consultant, advisor, and mentor, I've worked with hundreds of founders on their go-to-market strategy, building an authentic personal brand, and growing as a leader. You are here for one thing, growth. And this show is dedicated to helping founders accelerate growth, period. We will dive into not only the best strategies that are working today, but discuss the biggest mistakes and failures that industry leaders have made in the past so you don't have to. So kick back, relax, and let's get into the show. Today's interview is going to feel like a smack across the face, but in a good way. I'm interviewing Brian Burkhart of Square Stories, and he is one of the most fascinating people that I know. He has built an incredibly successful and fascinating business all around presentations and events and telling stories. And he has this knack of making you think differently about what you're doing and especially how you talk about what you're doing. He's a fascinating human and he and I have become good friends since he interviewed me for his podcast about a year and a half ago. and. A lot of what we talk about today is sort of this new chapter that he's on and this dedication to helping businesses infuse what they do with more beauty. And he has a very different take on what that means, what beauty means, and how we can be more human in everything that we do by bringing this beauty into it all. It's really powerful what he talks about. And um, I think you will also learn a lot of very practical, tactical advice and how you can rethink how you show up in the world, how you think about communicating with your customers, with your audience, and bringing beauty into everything that you do. Um, I can pretty much guarantee you'll have goosebumps at least once during this interview. So give a listen. Brian freaking Burkhart, I am so excited that you are here. This is, as we were just saying before I hit record, this is this is coming full circle because you and I met when you interviewed me mm, a year and a half ago? A thousand years ago. 
thousand years ago. Yes, we are very old and wise people. Well, we actually spent COVID together. I saw my wife and then you, <laughs> the most people I saw in COVID. Wife, Casey Jones. You know, I have a close second. Like, I appreciate that. It's true. It's true. Um, okay. So to start things off, Brian, who the heck are you? What do you do? What's your story? Well, first, it's awesome to be with you. So thank you. But second, who am I? I am the founder of Square Planet. It's an awesome little shop. Uh, we are essentially a bunch of people who like telling a lot of stories. I'm a speaker and a consultant. My job, more than anything else, is to help my clients fuse beauty into the functions of business. And I define beauty not the aesthetic side of things. It's really the notion of adding joy, excitement, meaning, speed, novelty, or ease into all things business-related. It's harder than it sounds, but that's what I do. Um, I don't know. It sounds pretty hard. It is hard. Um, that's, that's, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot in there, and we're, we will unpack that in a bit. But you know, we start every interview with a story. And you know, the whole theme of this podcast is the fact that like, we don't learn from the easy stuff. I really wish we were more self-reflective when all good things happen, but that's not really how our brains work. We learn and we grow from the challenge, from the tough stuff. Um, so I, I would love it if you would be willing to share a story with us of of something tough you went through that ultimately led to the big aha or or something that led to you know real growth for you for your business um whatever whatever feels right for you I think this is great and a touch of inside baseball you did not tell me about this in advance so this is immediate and I got to tell you it's such a profoundly important part of my world that it's an an easy thing for me to tell. So not that many years ago, I'm going to call it three, four, mm. um, we got fired. I got fired from a, a long, long, long standing client project or projects. The longest client that I had enjoyed. 17 years going strong. Wow. And we got fired. And it was awesome. It was so amazing. I wish you could see the parts. But the cool part more than anything was the CEO of the company didn't know but every time he kept replying all in the email chain, I was on the email. And so I'm seeing all the inside stuff as this dude is just ripping me to shreds. And he was a new CEO. He had been at Home Depot, joined this organization, and it was one that I had spent a tremendous amount of time on, blood, sweat, and tears, traveled all over the world, did all kinds of things for these people, knew the CEO, the board, all of the different entities. I mean, I knew these people for literally decades of my life. New guy comes in and doesn't quite know my value, skills, etc. And at some point kind of rips on the notion that I know what I'm talking about. And at this point, I had already written an Amazon best-selling book. I had already been on staff at Northwestern University at one of the best business schools, quite literally, on the planet. I had run my own business. I had created millions of dollars in commerce. I had done amazing work. And yet this guy kept thinking, this guy doesn't know anything. And the learning of being fired mm -hmm. was multifaceted. One, I got liberated because I had wanted to be done with this client for some time. Yeah. We were seeing things differently. I was growing. They were shrinking. It was really one of those kind of moments where I, I recognized while reading these emails, the lesson was that I should have said no long before he had the chance to say, 
sayonara. Yeah. I got canned when I should have quit. Yeah. And the, the deeper lesson really is more than anything else is work with those that believe what you believe. This is a Simon Sinekism that I have run with for years. And that notion of understanding deeply what it is that you stand for, what your firm is all about, and only working with people that see it the same way. I had talked about that all the time, but because of the longevity of this client, I ignored it. Yeah. And that was a mistake. Um, I'm actually really, really, really happy this guy fired me because I don't know if I would have had the guts to quit. And so he did me a solid. He gave me a gift. He's still a dick, but, you know, (laughs) so. Yeah. Yeah. This is a good story, right? Because this is one of the most difficult things about being an entrepreneur is saying no. Well, and not just being an entrepreneur, freaking life in general. Yeah. Saying no to something that is okay so that we can create room to say yes to something that is freaking amazing. And I think it's especially hard in these situations where you've been with a a client for a long time. I mean, I haven't been in business long enough to have a client for 17 years. Um, But I've had those situations where you've been doing it for a while. And even though you're not enjoying it, even though it's not the best fit anymore, I don't know. It's like a relationship. You get comfortable. Oh, it's fear-based, Case. It comes from a place of fear. I was afraid that somehow, someway, by losing this client, it would make me less than. Yeah. I was afraid that if we lost that revenue, we wouldn't be able to pay some bills. I was afraid that they would think less of me and not like me or whatever the heck it is. Relationships. Sometimes people don't get out of relationships because they're afraid of the notion of being alone. It's the wrong relationship, but they'll stick it out. That fear thing, boy, it's big. And more than anything, it's being able to confront those fears and know with deep, authentic faith in your bad self here that you'll be okay. Yeah. And it's not easy. It's really not easy. So I'm curious, since this happened, how do you think about fear in your business now? Like, how do you spot when that is coming up or when that is playing a role? And how do you deal with it when you do? Wow. Uh, I would say I've not gotten over fear. I am a human being and a people pleaser. And so I am fearful somehow, some way of saying no and harming myself or others. I'm afraid of not eating, you know, all the things. And so it's still part of it. But I definitely think I have a much more a sound and deep understanding that I'm going to be okay. And some of this is really comes down to ego. My organizations, the companies that I have been a part of, they've changed a lot, yeah. uh, regressed, some could say. And I say, no, I've been given an amazing gift. They've grown in the best, most beautiful way because it's not so egocentric. Yeah. Um, for years when people would say, oh, you own your company. Well, how many employees do you have? Or what are your revenues or whatever it is? Those metrics, they kind of don't matter. I mean, they do, but they don't, but they're certainly egocentric. What matters to me is that I live my best life. And so now that I recognize that, I'm not as afraid. I'm much more focused on the things that I really want. I want to pursue stuff for me, knowing full well that there's plenty of audiences that will be moved by that, but I'm just not doing it for the wrong reasons anymore. Fear is part of it. It's not going to go away, but I have greater understanding about what I actually desire. And that's the bigger motivator. Hey, I think this is huge because, I mean, I've certainly gotten myself into this position where I, you know, and I've talked about this on on the podcast a little bit. 
I built an agency because everyone was like, that's how you do it. Like, you know, that's how you're going to make more money, you know, and, and all of a sudden I got to say I had employees and lots of clients and all these other things. And it took me until I, well, until I had vertigo and my doctor was like, why do you have, like, what's going on? And she was like, this is stress. What's going on? And I was like, oh, I hate running an agency. I'm just kind of stuck at it. Like, this is not for me. This sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was, it was purely ego. I think this is something that it comes up a ton where you start sending your business in a direction that like wasn't what you initially intended um, because of fear and because of ego. So I'm curious, okay, once you had this experience, how did you start to figure out what you actually wanted to do? How did you get back in touch with the stuff that really drives you? Uh, the short answer is a global pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> the truth. Yeah. The um, magic of COVID, the silver lining of a horrific, terrifying worldwide thing that is still very much part of the equation as we speak today, yeah. is that somehow, some way it provided time. I think what was going on is up until that point, and I'm talking about myself here, it's very personal, but I think it's pretty universal. We were all just sort of going. Yeah. And it was that hamster wheel of go, 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 that I never really stopped to ponder. And there was a part of me where I was equating busyness with I am successful. Mm. Because I'm so busy, look at me, I'm successful. Yeah. Then suddenly I was slow. Did that suddenly mean I was unsuccessful? Did I suddenly become stupid and incapable of things? No, but it just means the game changed. And suddenly that provided real clarity and a chance to find wisdom that I probably already had, but I think in some ways actively chose to ignore. I mean, it was there and I'm not totally stupid, but it was just like, meh, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, making money. This seems to be working. Once it was forced upon me, I think I had to take stock of what I wanted in my life, the things that truly mattered, what really moved me. And then that gave me um, a chance to rethink everything, throw my ego to the side. I've done, I've been, I've seen, I'm good. Now I'm going to go do it for me. Yeah. And so I think the silver lining of COVID is I got a chance to essentially recreate who I am and what I want for the, this final chapter of my work life. So, Okay. So what does that look like? What are the things that you are doing or working towards that feel that are that are in line with that vision? Well, it's even how I started this thing. I'm not sure if you caught it. It's only happened a few times now, so I still stumble out of the gate. I stumbled out of this gate. Uh, when you asked me to introduce myself, I said, I'm a speaker and a consultant. I have never really done that before, yet I've always been speaking. Yeah. Um, I used to say things I owned. I owned an agency, and we do this and that. Now I'm leading with the notion of what I really want. Yeah. Um, what I'm hoping to do for the rest of my life is make a very nice income, more often than not, by speaking to groups, both virtually and certainly live, accompanied mm -hmm. by my pottery wheel. Yes, I am a ceramic artist. I sit at a wheel, and I turn a lump of clay from something into nothing, and that process that notion is a complete analogous to the way we do business. And yet no one that I've ever seen has done that for audiences. And so that's what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I never would have had the guts nor the opportunity had we just kept going on the hamster wheel. Yeah. Okay. So expand on this. When you talk about this idea of turning nothing into something, what does that mean for you? How do you think about that? 
Oh, that's a big question. Um, and in many ways, that's what my speech is about. I, I will try to be very brief here. Yeah. In the 1920s in Japan, there was a movement called Menge. It was started by this guy named Shoji Hamada and a bunch of his friends. And they essentially said, if we're going to make functional things, rugs, knives, pillows, pottery, you name it, let's also make it beautiful. Not just functional, but beautiful. And this was at the time of the Industrial Re Revolution in Japan. And it was a bit of a different kind of take. Yeah. Um, the minute that I started doing pottery as an adult, it, I was struck by this duality of what we do in business, the function side, yeah, and how often my clients chose to proactively rip away the beauty side. Mm. And that to me was just inherently wrong. And so the vast majority of my career, I can look at all of my highs and all of my lows. And I can see that my lows were when my clients forced the beauty portion to be ripped away. And my highs every time were when my clients embraced the notion of the beauty side. And again, it's not just the aesthetically pleasing. Beauty has a much deeper, more human meaning. Um, that's a long way of saying that what that really means is I'm going to try to speak about this, influence some people, and consult with some of the best brands on the planet to make sure that they remember at the end of the day, we're working with, working towards, by, and for people. It's about humans. Yeah. And we fail to remember that more often than not. We do. Uh, okay. So I hope this isn't too tough of, of a question, but what's beauty? I define beauty the, in those six words that I brought up earlier. And of course, there's plenty to choose from. But after really looking at it, um, taking a deep dive, I always say that beauty is infusing the notion of joy, excitement, meaning, speed, novelty, or ease. Mm. And uh, if you really look at the things that happen within business, one or some amalgam of those words you add those into any project, product, group, team dynamic, you name it, and life gets way better. It gets far more beautiful. And hit me and I'll show you an example every single time. Yeah. Okay. So if a founder is listening to this conversation and they're thinking, okay, I want to add more beauty to my product or my customer experience, how do you recommend they like first start thinking about this? concept and, and approach making changes that actually mean something? Yeah. That's probably the biggest question right there, right? How do you begin? Yeah. I think first and foremost, it's accepting that the notion is a sound one. Mm. Um, I have had lots of people that disagree with me. I think they're inherently wrong, right? I mean, it just isn't true. I think that we are humans way before we are business people right? Yeah. So for me, that becomes a non-starter, but yet I still get fought on that. So begin by embracing the notion that beauty matters. The way I would actually describe that, believe it or not, is with teeth. Uh, I've had, it seems like everything you can do to teeth, including implants and braces. And I'm always really, really pleased when I think about it, that the dentists and orthodontists, they understand that that duality of both function and beauty matter. I could have all kinds of little barbs and wires and stuff, but no, 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 not just function, but function and beauty. It's both. Yeah. I got a pretty good smile. Thank you to my dentist community, right? So once you agree that that beauty thing exists, then you start looking at it going, okay, where and how can I infuse this? And it's tiny steps, right? It's little things. Think about the notion of excitement. That's one of my words, right? If you're a founder 
You want your people to be excited. You want your customers to be excited, whether it's about the process, the product, the experience, the price, whatever it is, just think about things like those six words, decide which one, all three, pick a number and infuse the things where necessary. Now, as I said before, it's easier said than done. Sometimes you need an outside person who can see it far easier than you can from the inside. Yeah. But it's just simply choosing to do it, assigning the work and the values that you want and going forward. It's not hard, but it's not easy. Mm. I love all of this. I think it's um, the way you talk about this, it, it keeps, especially that some people don't agree with you. I'm going to completely butcher this. I'm going to have to go look it up in this book after yeah. we finish. This, you know, I'm um, really, I love the idea that people don't agree with me, right? I mean, oh, of course, of yeah. course. It's like my if, favorite thing. Everybody just sort of accepted it. It would kind of have less meaning to it, I think, because there's very little that actually matters in life that everybody just, you know, tacitly agrees with. But there's a great line from the book, uh, The Power of Moments, which is a Chip and Dan Heath book where they're talking about, you know, how do you create kind of amazing client experiences, customer experiences. And I'm going to butcher this, but they basically say, don't let um, reasonableness get in the way of creating an incredible moment. And the example that they give, which I always love, I, I quote this all the time because it's just, it's so memorable. I've never been to this place, but they talk about You're the magic, talk about magic castle. Yeah. Yeah. And popsicle hotline, popsicle hotline. Right. And so for everybody listening, basically magic castle, it's a resort in LA where you know, they have magic there. An old yeah. dumpy resort. It's not great. An old dumpy re- yeah. Yeah. And they, um, when you're down at the pool, there's a, there's a phone that you can call. It's the popsicle hotline and you can order popsicles. And I think you get to pick a flavor and some guy in like, you know, white tails and, and white gloves comes down with a silver tray with, um, with your popsicles. And they talked about if you were being reasonable, you would just have a fridge by the pool where kids could go get their own popsicles. But that's not the moment. That's not the experience. And so adding this thing that is, is kind of absurd, that's what's memorable. And if no you doubt. go, and I, I, I look this up, if you go on TripAdvisor and you look it up, like all the reviews are about the popsicle hotline. Well, and it's in my website. I say something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing and don't really remember, Conventional wisdom provides you conventional results. Yeah. If you do what everyone's doing, if you just follow the herd, guess what? Meh. And it doesn't have to be outlandish, sophomoric, silly, or stupid. It can just be different. I think that's where people kind of take this lesson and they get a little sideways. We're not saying that every founder out there should install a Popsicle hotline, right? I think what we're saying is look at the experiences for your customers, your employees, your potential employees, your investors, whatever it is, and just really think what the hell are we doing? Yeah. And more importantly, what do we want? What do we want the outcome to be? And then work backwards. If you can infuse that humanity, that beauty, that Popsicle hotline, you got something special. When I think a lot about um, the Maya Angelou quote, where she says, you know, people aren't going to remember what you said. They're not going to remember what you do, but they're, they're going to remember how you made them feel. And so I often think, you know, when it, because when, it is hard to come up with those ideas, but something that makes it, I think a little bit easier is if you take that step back and you think, okay, how do I want to make someone feel? 
And what are the experiences that I can create that is going to make someone feel that way? I've got a, a Zoom tomorrow afternoon with a brand new client. They've got a sales kickoff meeting for a few thousand people in like seven, eight weeks. And they sent me all this material and I'm trying to figure out what's what. And I asked a question that I hope I get answered tomorrow. And it's at Thursday, July, whatever the date is, at 4 p.m. when this thing adjourns. What do you want your audience to feel? Yeah. I didn't say, what do you want them to know with a K? What do you want them to feel? Yeah. We're humans first. We're emotional creatures. We cry at Hallmark TV commercials and such. It's it's part of the deal. And to run from that is missing the notion of beauty and that duality of both function and beauty, that menge thing that I talked about from Japan. That's what this is all about. When I work with startups and their founders, it's usually because they know they could be growing faster and they need some help to make it happen. Almost always, my first step with them is to take them through my growth audit process to diagnose and then help them fix the problem. But I can't work with everyone and I still want to help every founder grow. So I've created the growth audit quiz, which asks you some questions about your business and your process of turning a stranger into a loyal, happy customer to help you identify where you have the greatest opportunity to take a big leap forward. So go to a betterjones.com slash growth audit and take the growth audit now. You'll also have a chance to book some time with me to review your answers and together create an action plan to help you grow. What do you say when people kind of get it, but are struggling to make the case of why it's important? I get this a lot, actually. Uh, for a bunch of years now, I've heard whether it's in uh, healthcare, things like docs just want the data, or financial services, we just need the numbers. Both of are the two biggest industries that I spend a lot of time in, as well as disruptive technology. And I remind them that they're just inherently wrong. And I go through a number of case studies and examples, and it doesn't always work. Um, I, I have a number of famous flops that are now, you know, stories, legends, lore around the, these parts. Um, and you just can't help it. I, in my book, I talk about the very much now booted CEO of Jim Beam, as in whiskey, bourbon, spirits, etc. Um, he was, we were working with this guy and his whole senior team, and he just refused to listen, just objectively uh, was difficult. He was obstinate. And he said to me things like, you don't understand this group. Yes, I do. They're called human beings. And um, when he started, I talk about this in my book, there's even a little picture. Um, I remember when he started speaking, as opposed to looking at him, I looked at the audience. And I turned the timer on my iPhone on, and I was looking in the darkened audience, waiting for the first glow of someone's cell phone in their face, meaning that they weren't paying attention to him. Yeah. It took, I think it was 27 seconds. And then it took within like 90 seconds, it was like two, three, four, five, da -da 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 -da, like popcorn. And I'm talking not five minutes into this guy's speech, the most important presentation that he was going to make, nobody was paying attention. And so it's one of those kind of things where, yeah, I've got anecdotal evidence, 
But I think in some ways that's also empirical. The truth of the matter is, is that if you miss this notion of beauty and function, you're just going to miss, you're going to miss the mark. And there's example after example after example. We've sat through it. We've done it. We've all experienced it. It's just a matter of recognizing and choosing to do something about it. Yeah. Okay. So for that founder out there that is about to give a speech. Yeah. And they know that they want to, to infuse this, this sense of beauty into what they're doing. They're fucking terrified of it. It could be a pitch, Joe. I mean, seriously. So think about this case. If they were, I was going to call you Jonesy, but I know that's too colloquial. Um, you can call me Jonesy. Yeah. If, if they were going to do even a pitch for cash, you have to add beauty, right? Sorry, yeah. keep going. But I totally so, interrupted. No, but so how do they, and, 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 and let's say this is someone who gets it and they believe in it, but they're like, this is so freaking scary. How, what's your advice? for them to get over that fear or face it anyway? Uh, Maybe the most important thing we've talked about to this point. The truth is, is that often that fear comes from the notion that you are going to be judged. As you and I sit here and speak today, uh, if people just hear us and or see us, they're judging us. The words we say, the manner in which we say them, the way we look, etc., It is inevitable and it is real. It is what we do. Often that judgment or the fear of it, it can be paralyzing. And so people end up trying to do uh, something I've heard a thousand different ways, but I can boil it down to play it safe. They're going to stick to things like numbers, facts, figures, data, etc. Because if I'm going to be judged, I'm going to let the data or the numbers be the thing that is judged. Well, that's inherently flawed because we're judging you, the presenter. And so people make a choice because of this flawed way of thinking to think that if they play it safe, it'll have a better outcome. It's just wrong. Yeah. The truth is I have, um, at this point, I probably thousands of examples of all the different founders and the presentations and the startups that I've worked with and the pitches that they've done and the teams I've had on Shark Tank and all the stuff. And the more beauty we infuse, the better the outcome. I mean, over and over and over again. And sometimes on the most diabolically complex, technologically advanced things going, we add this moment of beauty and it changes the game. So start by understanding that you are being judged and get over your bad self. Well, it's also, you know, what comes to mind is if you if you ever go to if you ever go to karaoke, it's obviously been a while since I've been to karaoke. But if you ever go to karaoke, you should do that. I know. Uh, you notice that the best performances are not actually the people that are the best singers. It's the people that just go for it. And there's always, always, every time I have ever been, there's always like a couple of people who kind of aren't that good. But man, do they like go for it and they give it their all. And you like the crowd is on their feet, it they're clapping, they're singing along, and like that's the one you go home remembering. And you don't you don't care that they weren't the best singer. You care that they brought the energy, they brought the excitement, and you were caught up in it. That is going for broke. That deepest level of conviction, it is so real. And the thing that's so amazing about it is we choose. 
right? That's something we can choose to do. Yeah. By far and away, I will talk anyone off this ledge. They cannot be, I cannot be told I'm wrong. The greatest TV show in the history of all time is Breaking Bad. It's absolutely spectacular. Don't try to tell me I'm wrong. It can't be done. And there is a moment in there when Mike Ehrmantraut, tough guy, has this story about when he created a half measure when he should have done a full measure. That's this. It's it's full measures. You can't be half pregnant, right? And so it's just one of those kind of things where, again, this notion of I'm being judged, I'm going to play it safe, half measure won't work. And I think what's also really interesting is, you know, and when we think about being judged, we really worry that that you know we're going to be judged harshly. That people are going to look at we tried to do something and it failed, or and I think this comes up a lot when when we think about vulnerability. People think, well, I don't want to talk publicly about something vulnerable or trying for something and it failing because I think people are going to judge me as a failure or judge me as weak. But when you actually talk to people who see someone do that, the resounding response is, oh, God, they're so brave. And so there's this weird, this thing that we we convince ourselves that the judgment is going to be very harsh, when usually it's people see us for the the courage, the bravery, not for the vulnerability. I mean, the first story I told you tonight was about getting fired, right? And I have a hunch that those that might hear this aren't going to think that guy's a big loser. They're going to think, yeah, I get, I, he, yes, I get it. We've all been there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it really is, it's a uh, counter to what we think more often than not. It, it's, this is something that's come up a lot for me. And I remind people of something called the spotlight effect. The spotlight effect is this notion that if you have a zit on your nose or a bad hair day or whatever it is, you start immediately apologizing to people about the zit on your nose or the hair on your head. And 99.9% of the people are like, you have a zit on your nose? You hadn't noticed. Spotlight. Now I notice because you put the spotlight on it. But we put we do this to ourselves, right? It's all in our brain. And I mean, this is why therapy and mental health should be a topic that comes up all the time in business. Yeah. Um, I think it's getting better, but the truth of the matter is if there is a muscle that we need to exercise as business people, as humans, as founders, it's this one. Yeah. And that requires help. I mean, you know, you know my take on that. And look, that's why we start every one of these interviews with talking about something shitty because something that I find incredibly frustrating is that you look at the entrepreneurial kind of stories out there. The only time we hear about the bad stuff is when it is a little blip in the story of transformative and outrageous success. It's totally glossed over. We don't really talk about um, what it felt like to be in it, how we got through it. It's it's not really that. It's, uh, oh, isn't this funny? I had that experience, but now I'm you know, wildly successful. And I don't think that's very helpful for those of us when we are in the, in the shit. I, I think you're a thousand percent right. And there's a lot of metrics that they change all the time and depends on the source, but You'll know what I mean. It's something like 98% of all startups fail. The median age of founders is something like 54. I mean, all these metrics that 
aren't necessarily discussed. What is, yeah. is the billion dollar valuation of this and unicorn that and all these things that, gang, that's the black swan. That's the stuff that's unusual. Yeah. The normal every day is failure, struggle, pain, confusion. That's like typical, but we think it's the exact opposite. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because those are the stories that we hear. Right. So I'm curious, you know, of all of the, the startups that you work with, all of the founders that you work with, we know that your biggest recommendation is find the beauty. But what's the other thing that you feel like businesses just seem to miss way too often and is something that feels like this glaring opportunity? I'm going to say it's derivative of my notion of the duality of function and beauty. And one of my six words was meaning. Mm. I think purpose, beliefs, core beliefs, the things that we stand for is missed with such a high amount of frequency that it actually hurts and boggles my mind to the point of I have worked with leaders of Many billion dollar organizations, people that are highly seasoned, and I've asked questions of them along the lines of, why does this organization exist? And all they can give me is a rambling, bumbling mishmash of vision and values that was created by marketing and approved by legal and so poorly codified that it is just a shit show from minute one. If we actually stop and figure out why the heck we're doing this, why it matters, the impact we're really deeply trying to make, everything changes. Why I exist as both a human and as a founder, as a firm, it's to elevate people. Everything I do is about elevating people, which is why when I see people being marginalized or groups of uh, individuals or communities being treated as less than, I am literally sick to my stomach. Mm. Because as a human, I want to elevate not just some people, but all people. It's not about what the size of the contract is or the terms of the deal or what our quarterly revenues are. It's about making people better and giving people an opportunity. And so little wins make me feel really good. I know exactly what the meaning of my entity is, of why we're here, of what we stand for. So many people and organizations get that wrong. You get that right, everything changes. Well, and... I happen to know you wrote a whole book about that. So tell people a little bit about your book and and where they can learn more about this. Yeah, my book is wrong. Uh, It's called Stand for Something, The Power of Building a Brand People Authentically Love. It came out in 2019. Amazon bestseller in seven different categories. Um, I still am floored when I still get the little royalty payments. I'm like, people are still buying this thing. It cracks me up. Uh, It's wrong. I talk at length in my book about our reason for being of making waves, making waves, causing a little trouble. Mm. That's how we do what we do. Mm. I have it wrong. Why we do it is elevating people. And it took COVID for me to recognize that difference. But they, they should still read it. And but that's also the that's also the point, right? It's an it's an evolutionary thing. Yeah. I think look, it's it's you know, it might have been right then, but over time, our vision, our why, our purpose, all of these things evolve. And the idea that we can do this work and it's gonna be like a one and done is just bullshit. Well, and as I said, it, it I keep saying 
simple but not easy. This shit is hard. I literally wrote a book on this. This is the work that I do and I got it wrong. And it's just because it is like the hardest thing to wrap your arms around. I mean, how many people can without fail unequivocally say, this is why I exist. This is what I stand for. Very few. Yeah, It is super hard. And so if you get that right, it unlocks the doors to so many things. And that's why, you know, you do have to consistently revisit it because new new situations, new environments, new ahas are going to feed into that and they're going to shift your understanding of what that is. Yes. Um, but for people that are going down this this journey themselves, like I highly recommend Brian's book because he also gives a lot of advice on like, how do you approach that? How do you think about it? I do give a lot of case studies of what to do and what not to do. So it's a, a very quick read from the standpoint of you can spend 10 minutes a day for a number of days and burn through it yeah. and get little nuggets of wisdom. Yeah. Thank you for this. So if somebody uh, is, was listening and is like, oh my God, I need to talk to Brian. I need to work with Square Planet. Where do they go? What do they do? Easiest thing is just shoot me an, e- an email. Go to info at squareplanet.com. Square Planet is like round earth, but not. <laughs> There you go. Um, perfect. Um, and I have I have three last questions for you. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So what is one thing that makes you grateful to be a founder? Wow. Um, I'll tell you, as we speak, my office is empty. My house is covered in boxes and packaging tape. My wife and I are getting ready to move to Encinitas, California. We're going to live by the beach. It's, it's freedom. Um, I have the utmost freedom. Now I am beholden very much to my clients and the projects that we do. I've always been beholden to things like employees, but that's changed too. But as a founder, I now have the freedom and thankfully some technology allows this to do what I want to do from where I want to do it in many ways, how and when I want to do it. Yeah, That freedom, it's big. I feel very grateful. I also see things there's so many people struggling, homeless people and just so many people, so many struggling. And that really gets my attention. I very much notice without fail, those that have just been given a far harder path. Um, I got lucky. I won life lotto, right? And so I'm very grateful for that. Yeah. Um Okay, what is one resource that you recommend all the time or that was really pivotal for you in your journey? Wow, there's lots. Um, I think I'm going to go something that I don't think I would have said even two years ago. Mm -hmm. And that is I would join a professional forum. Think uh, YPO, EO, uh, that kind of thing. I was, my, my work for all these years, had me on the road at my client's schedule, not my determination, with such frequency that I, I couldn't, although I was eligible for things like YPO and EO for all the different sales metrics and that kind of stuff, I just couldn't make the schedule work. Yeah. And then a very good friend of mine, a guy named Mike Maddock, he created this thing called Flourish Forums. And uh, it started during the pandemic and it's been all Zoom based except for one day long, two day long retreat. Um, and I, all my forum mates, these people are some of the most important people in my world. I would walk through fire for them. But that council of advisors, that place to kind of learn continuously, beat up ideas and really push yourself to be both accountable but open 
that forum thing is very helpful. Very helpful. That's huge. That's huge. Um, okay. Last but not least, if present day Brian could go back in time and give advice to baby Brian, who is just about to start his business, what would you tell him? Oh, don't say yes. Mm. Say no. I have said yes. This is actually kind of emotional. Um, on my desk, not 15 feet from me, is a Christmas card, holiday card that we created and sent out a couple of years ago. Yeah. It is such a piece of shit. It's so bad. From the design to the paper stock to the bad little Avery label for our return address, it's just awful. And I said yes to the internal designer that I was signing their weekly or biweekly check for. Mm-hmm. And it bothers me to this day. So from client projects that I should have absolutely said no to, yeah. to uh, candidates that we interviewed and I said, yep, let's bring them on board, to just people pleasing even internal things like a stupid holiday card. As the founder, it is your job to truly set that vision from soup to nuts, from top to bottom. And it is often easier and I think twisted. We think that by saying yes, that somehow we'll get gains down the line. You're only betraying yourself. And I have betrayed myself in nice guy land and said yes to things with too much frequency. I will never do that Again, that holiday card will never not live on my desk. It's a reminder to say reminder. no. Yeah, I love that. It's, you know, I've been thinking a lot about very similar because I'm like you. I, I say yes to lots of things that I shouldn't have. And the way I've been thinking about it is my default answer needs to always be no. Yeah. And someone or I, like the, the circumstances need to prove that I should change my mind instead of the reverse. Um, And those of us that are super upbeat and positive and really nice, like our default tends to be yes. And it gets us into trouble. And we wind up saying yes to things that aren't, aren't good for us, but, but also not good for the other people because we don't bring ourselves our best selves. And we know, right. We've hired people where you're like, it's it's a mediocre fit on both sides, and it's we think we're doing someone else a favor, and we we really we really freaking we're not. Are. And I'll tell you that I've enjoyed this entire conversation, but I haven't felt it until that last question. I mean, it like bubbled up through me physically. Mm. That tells me we hit a hot spot. Something it's pretty real, and I I don't think we're alone. No, no. Um, and uh, also, I don't know if you've read this essentialism. Yeah, that's, that's a good one. And it was, I was going back through that where I was like, okay, what are some of the issues? It's time to, time to make no my default because it's, it's really freaking hard. Yeah. Um, you popping that book up just reminded me of one thing. It's very local for you. Yeah. Uh, this is not a question or not an answer to any question you asked. Well, that's not true. Resources. Yeah. Everyone should stop what they're doing after they listen to this podcast and hop on Amazon or your local bookseller and buy Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, mm. buy a physical copy, take notes, scribble dog ear pages, and keep it with you at all times. It is the Bible for startups, for founders, for businesses. 
let's just put it this way. There were many, many, many things that Nike got wrong way before they got right, before he became the 24th richest human on the planet. It is quite a message and a hell of a story. Shoe dog. That's awesome. I don't know if you've been watching um, Winning Time, the the HBO Lakers. show about the Lakers, but the the little bit of them trying to convince Magic Johnson to go with them instead of Converse is... It, that was probably my favorite part in the, the whole first season. Is I haven't seen it yet, so um, I, it is on the queue. Yeah, it's very queue. good. It's very good, and it, it, it's it's seriously, it's like five minutes of the entire first season. But you also find out how if Magic Johnson had taken that offer, how much his stock would be worth today. Oh, I know. He'd be a billionaire. Just he is a billionaire. I worked with Magic a few years ago. He was amazing. And he and just to put it in perspective, yeah. the tallest building in Brooklyn, yeah, Magic owns it. Yeah, he's doing just fine. He's doing just fine. He's got plenty of dough. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to add uh, Shoe Dog to my my list. That's 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 been one I've wanted to read for a while. So I will make that happen. So thank you, um, Brian. This was fucking awesome. This is you are. so many like nuggets, such wisdom, such beauty. Um, and I think this is a really, really powerful message. And I'm excited to, one, share it with my little audience, but also see all the ways that you're sharing it with the world. Well, get ready to see me doing a, a lot of things with clay. So there you go. Ooh, yay. That's exciting. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Case, thank you. It's always... We always have fun. You and I are, I mean, we're friends before anything else. And so, you know. Yeah. No, actually, that's not true. We were podcast interviewing an interviewer. And then became friends. So now we're just just swapping the roles. That's it. That's it. It's been um, a while. I can't remember how many episodes ago that you were on my podcast. Many. But it was still one of those ones I look back and think, well, that was just too easy. When it feels too easy it's a good sign usually like oh yeah we could be friends it's real yeah and 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 that's what happened yeah no doubt yeah. about it no doubt about well, it thank you, Brian. well thank you for the opportunity to be with you and your audience you guys are going to kill it uh i mean you're you're the real deal so keep doing what you're doing it's good for the world thank you i hope you enjoyed that episode on the high growth founders podcast If you love what you heard, subscribe to the show of whatever podcast platform you're tuning in from. And look, much like this show, I love getting into the good, the bad, and everything in between. So please feel free to express yourself in the reviews of the show. And consider subscribing to the High Growth Founders newsletter by going to highgrowthfounders.substack.com. You'll get the show delivered to your inbox every single week, plus stories, insights, and actionable tips from my work helping founders accelerate their growth and from my own journey, accelerating my own. Leaders are the best givers. And after all, we are here to learn from one another. So please, if the episode made you think of a founder who is leveling up in their business, take a screenshot and share it with them. Okay, that's all I've got. In love and growth, I am out of here. See you next time.